Mud Stories, Episode 6. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I pictured, you know, this person walking through the mud and, you know, the thing about mud is it sticks to your feet and you can really see where you've gone and where you're going. And um, I think it makes it more clearly, too, that someone is walking beside you and you can see their footprints even clearer because of the mud. Yeah, life is messy, but Jesus says he didn't come to save people who already feel like they're found. He came to save the lost and he came to save the sick. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey friends, welcome back. Today I'm talking with Emily Ruenga, an award-winning journalist and columnist. She's an artist who paints beautiful paintings, and she's also an author and blogger at her site, emilywaringa.com. Emily's work has appeared in many publications, including Christianity Today, Dayspring's Encourage, and Focus on the Family, and she speaks on a regular basis about her journey with anorexia. Emily lives in Alberta, Canada with her husband Trenton and their two adorable sons, and she's the author of a newly released memoir entitled Atlas Girl, Finding Home in the Last Place I Thought to Look. So in this episode, we discuss eating disorders, their complexities, and how they begin, how ironically pain is a way we sometimes feel the most alive, how to maintain hope in order to find healing, and steps that we can take today to find God in the middle of our pain. I am so thankful to have had this conversation with Emily. I've had the privilege to meet Emily in person and share several meals with her. And she is so warm and meek and insightful and wise. And she is an example of how our suffering can propel us toward God. And as we listen today, may her story help show us how our pain and suffering can propel us toward God too. So enjoy. Hey, Emily, so glad to have you here with us on the Mud Stories podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Jackie. I've loved your writing for so long and just for the beauty and the richness of it and the way you use words to move hearts deeply toward truth. It's just mm. wonderful. Mm, thank you. I wanted to tell everybody a little bit how I came to know you. Mm-hmm. Because I'd read your writing online, I'd wanted to meet you for the longest time. <laughs> and finally, I got to say a brief hello at the Illum conference last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, you were yes. there. But it was really at the IF gathering in February that I really got to hang out with you and eat some meals mm-hmm. with you and get to know you. So I'm so thankful for that. Mm-hmm. And um, it, there's just yes. such a gentle, calming way just being in your presence feels and I just want you to know I see Jesus in you so much and it's just such a privilege that you're here to share some of your mud story with us oh you're gonna make me cry on the air (laughs) thank you (laughs) oh thank you I know you've been through so much Uh, tell us where your mud began Emily oh goodness um well you know I think 
we are born sinful. And, you know, something I've been thinking about lately is uh, my mom admitted to me that when I was in the womb, she prayed that I would never be physically beautiful. Um, And she didn't pray that maliciously, but more out of a concern that looks would be too important to me. So ironically, um, looks became very important to me and being beautiful was all I really cared about when I was young. Um, I think partially because my, I was in ministry or my family was in ministry. My father was a pastor. We moved 10 times before the age I turned seven and, um, I didn't have friends really until I turned eight. I was home homeschooled, you know, I was the kid in the mushroom cut and the big plastic glasses and the headgear and (laughs) not a pretty picture, literally, but (laughs) I think many of us can relate for sure. (laughs) Those awkward early years, but more than that, it was just the feeling of being unwanted, the feeling of not being beautiful. It wasn't so much a physical thing. It's just a, mm-hmm. an emotional and a spiritual bondage that I was in. And um, I longed for, you know, what every kid longs for, just affirmation, affection. And but the way my parents were raised, they didn't know either of those things. So my siblings and I weren't raised knowing a lot of that either. And, um, you know, I guess the eating disorder was triggered when I was um, nine, and I had just lost one of the first friends I'd made, and she was actually an elderly woman. I called her Grandma Ermini, and because we grew up uh, not knowing our grandparents till we were older, so I adopted this grandma and, you know, hung out with her. She was just, um, she showed me that attention that I was longing for, and then all of a sudden, one day she died, and no one had warned me that she was even sick or that you could lose people you loved. I didn't know. You know, that was an option. Um, well, death is so abstract when we're a child. You know, death yeah. is hard to understand and explain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, at least for us over here in North America. I know in Africa, mm-hmm. know it very, very closely. But yes. so I, I responded by just shutting down and it was just accumulation of all the years of feeling unwanted and having no control over um, having no voice we lived in kind of a glass house because we're a pastor's family so there's just a lot of mm-hmm. uh, attention to detail like how what we would say what we would do we needed to appear perfect um, I can so relate to that yeah, yeah yeah I think many people many people can too yeah, the pressure, it just draws you in, and there's no room for grace, right, which is mm-hmm. the foundation of the gospel. So yes. um, I wasn't given a chance to need Jesus. So basically, I just fell on my face when I was nine and stopped eating, and it was a slow stop, but it um, resulted in me um, nearly dying when I was 13 at 60 pounds and realizing that... Um, in that moment when nurses said that I was a miracle, that I should be dead, um, that I had a Heavenly Father who had looked out for me this whole time, who had showered me with affirmation and attention and affection, and I just had not been able to see it for all of the humans in front of me. <laughs> right. And as humans, sometimes we do block 
people's view of God, not, mm-hmm. not purposefully maybe, mm-hmm. but just, mm-hmm. I like how you brought out that your parents just didn't know well-intentioned, but ineffective in that display of affection. Well, and being a mom myself now, I know how hard it is to meet your kids' love languages, to, to speak love in a way that actually speaks to them. And, you know, um, when you're so busy and you're so burdened with so many things, especially in ministry, I, I don't blame my parents at all. And it's part of the story that I now get to share to help others find Jesus. So it's just been a learning curve for all of us. Yeah. Tell me more about your eating disorder. You said it started at nine. Um, mm-hmm. how, how did you even discover the idea that at nine you could restrict like that? I, I don't know. We weren't allowed to look at fashion magazines. I had no idea about anorexia or eating disorders. It wasn't a fad back then or anything. And I was homeschooled. You know, I was mm-hmm. raised on Dr. James Dobson. And my parents were doing everything right by the book. And mm-hmm. I'm... My mom was actually a nutritionist who who knew all about eating disorders and was determined, you know, her kids would not get one. So she just fed us really well and kept us shielded from all the temptations. But, yeah, it was just through a thought. It was a thought that, oh, wow, I can say no to my meal. You know, mom might dish it up on my plate, but I don't have to eat it. And it was such a surge of power, you know. Control, really. Yeah, control. Yeah. Like, this is something that they have to listen to me about. They cannot force me to eat. Hmm. I'm sure that you help many people now with working through that or pointing them in directions for resources about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, a book, which I, I wished that my parents had back then, because really, they didn't have a lot. They were in denial for the first a year and a half, and um, and then they were in panic mode, right? Because when you realize your kid has this, it's it's scary, you know. And well, yeah. it's life or death. I mean, it ends up right. being life or death. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, mm-hmm. so you left home when you were eighteen, mm-hmm. and um, had spoken of feeling like you never really wanted to go back. Tell us more about that. Where did your mm. Where did you end up landing? Well, okay, so I ended up starting to eat again at 13 when I realized my Heavenly Father had saved me. I, I just kept gaining weight. I was, I mean, until I had a healthy weight and um, just was determined to get back on track with a normal life. I wanted to start dating boys again and just was kind of tired of the whole starvation thing. But I didn't deal with the issues that it caused those four years of starving, I, I just kind of stuffed them down. And I was still very upset, especially at my father. I blamed him for a lot of things that I shouldn't have. Uh, just, I looked to him for my needs when I should have looked to God for them. But when you're so young, you don't realize that. So um, he did end up taking me on dates when I was a teen, it just took me to a cafe and we tried to get to know one another. But there was just so much buildup of, of bitterness towards the church, towards mm-hmm. um, him. So I, you know, I left as soon as possible. I did my last year of high school. Um, I did the two final years in one year so I could get out faster. And, um, you know, I went to Bible school, so it wasn't a huge rebellion, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I got, I went 40 hours away from my family as far okay. as possible. I went to the other end of the country yes. and, 
you know, it's not to say that I wasn't homesick. I was. I, I missed home because it was a place I'd always known. And I think we'll always miss home, even if it's a terrible place. It's just nostalgia, right? It's yes. something about us longing to make it better, longing to make it a place that we want to return to. And so I had that within me and I carried it. I've read that you've said it felt like you never really wanted to go back. Well, I think a lot of it was just... Um, you know, the natural desire to figure things out on my own. And I was just tired of being spoon-fed Christianity. I wanted to discover this God that I had been taught uh, from a pulpit by my father for 18 years. And so um, it was just really a longing to find my true home. And uh, I took the next 10 years um, traveling, meeting people, going to college, um, in the meantime, you know, went back home for brief visits, but uh, was grateful to be gone overall, just discovering my freedom and who I was. And um, I met my future husband in the process, uh, who's a wonderful man of God. And when I was engaged to him at 22, I traveled to the Middle East for six months. And while I was there, I had never been closer to God. I just um, really felt intimate with Him, and it was a beautiful experience until the last week I was there. Mm -hmm. And that's when I um, was eating a sandwich, and one of my friends commented that I'd put on weight while I'd been there, and I immediately dropped the sandwich I was eating and fell hard back into anorexia. It was um, Mm. just... uh, you know, the trigger I needed. Then I returned to my husband, a different person. He married a girl he no longer knew um, who um, drank 12 cups of coffee a day and got addicted to sleeping pills and ate one meal uh, a day. And, you know, um, mm-hmm. after three years of this, uh, it was it was uh, time to be done. And we both felt it. And we were driving home and I was screaming at Trent and I tried to drive the car into oncoming traffic and he pulled us over to safety to the side of the road and I just sobbed into my hands and and that was the moment when Trent turned to me and he said Mm -hmm. Emily I love you but I can't do this anymore I can't watch you die Um, I need you to choose between me and food because if you choose food I'm out Mm -hmm. and I really appreciate that he said that. It was the perfect timing for him to say that. I Mm -hmm. needed it in order to uh, make a drastic uh, change. And so it took me a few minutes, but I did choose him. We left our jobs. We moved to Korea, and we started over. We started loving one another again. I started to love food again, and yeah. Is that just a decision that you make? Like after you've relapsed and restricted, you... He threw you a lifeline, so to speak, and, and you responded by choosing to eat again? I think for me, I just, and I think for a lot of uh, anorexics, we are so extreme. You know, if we do something, we do it with all of our hearts. You know, we're perfectionists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so, you know, if you're going to starve yourself, you starve yourself to the best of your ability. <laughs> and, <laughs> and if you're going to get better, you get better to the best of your ability. Got it. Okay. And for me, once I decided to get better, I, I never actually, and I don't recommend this for people, but I never actually went to treatment. Um, my first experience I went to, I was put into a psych ward in the hospital. And, you, were, um, you were put into was, what? A hospital? A, a psych ward, yeah, okay. in the hospital. 
also. So it's like a mental ward. Mm-hmm. Um, and pulled together. And so, you know, uh, there's still a lot of healing that can, God continues to do within me because I didn't have that intensive counseling mm-hmm. and therapy. You know, I moved to Korea. That was my therapy. Um, and I had a loving husband who held me accountable. Yeah. So you do need to surround yourself with accountability and you do need to surround yourself with people who will not drag you down. Um, mm-hmm. But... Yeah, so I was able to start eating again slowly and uh, print off menus for myself and really start to figure out what the issues were that were causing this eating disorder in the first place. And this is what I had never done before. I'd never gone back to the past and faced, you know, my fears, faced that little girl that was still, you know, hungering inside me for for love. Mm-hmm. And um, and then my mom got brain cancer. And um, she got it, well, she had uh, contracted it a few years before, but she got very sick while I was in Korea. And one night my dad uh, called me and asked if I could watch her over webcam while he went to youth group, you know. And here I was, an ocean apart from my mom, and, and watching her sit in her chair, you know, drool coming out of her mouth, her head mm. slumped over. And my, I just broke. I had no idea she was so sick. I, and all that, you know, that little girl grew up in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I realized I needed to go home and, and really help my parents. And, um, I knew my dad would not like that idea. So I did what <laughs> I always did and just told him what I was going to do. <laughs> and, you know, um, I think later on, a few months later, he would thank me for doing that because, you know, he had gotten to this point of of severe burnout. Mm -hmm. Um, And my husband was such a blessing and said, of course, go, you know, this is your mom and we'll figure things out. Um, So So you went. Yep. And my husband finished the three months that we still had left in our contract. Um, My job was very uh, understanding and let me go three months early and, um, yeah, so we were apart for three months, my husband and I, and that was difficult, but it really allowed me to reconnect with my parents and to, um, you know, I lived in their basement. I was taking care of my mom 24-7, and it it was very, very hard, but an extremely humbling and beautiful experience, too. And um, my dad and I, you know, we'd weed the flowers in the garden and, and talk about the names of the flowers and um these are things, you know, I never got to do with my dad growing up, you know, and just um, reconnecting with them as human beings mm. and not as, you know, a pastor father and a right. homeschooling mom, you know. It sounds like there friend. were opportunities you had to spend time doing things that you that were connecting things that you never yeah. had yeah. before, yeah. Right. Um, so, yeah, and then um, that caused a lot of healing, and my husband... Uh, obviously moved back after our contract was done. We bought a little house near my parents and uh, continued to take care of mom for the next three years. So. And then what ended up happening for her? What, what was the end outcome of that cancer? Um, it was actually a miracle. Uh, she got better. She got better. So the tumor, after eight years of fighting brain cancer, the doctors couldn't find the tumor anymore. So it was a real miracle. And, and you know, a parallel miracle was that my husband and I had been told 
uh, we probably wouldn't be able to have kids due to the damage anorexia had done to me. We were able to conceive um, our eldest son uh, while we were living close to my parents, and that was after a pastor had prayed over us mm. uh, that we would have a son. And so it was just, um, you know, a, such a muddy three years, such a, yeah. such a, you know, scraping through that mud and finding all the the beautiful growth that was happening underneath it, you know, like all the the flowers that were coming up, you know, the mm-hmm. love mud, <laughs> yeah. you know, it was just a, a gorgeous time of reconciliation. Mm. I love that about your story because the mud just, I mean, mud, mud puddle after mud puddle, Emily, you walked, yeah. you know, and I love that you, you say this quote, it says, it's in the seeking that we find the love that reminds us we are nothing and he is everything. Tell me a little bit about how the mud puddle after mud puddle helped you in what seemed to be extreme suffering trials ended up being a gift. Mm. You know, even as you're talking, I, I had uh, just, I pictured, you know, this person walking through the mud and, you know, the thing about mud is it sticks to your feet and you mm-hmm. can really see where you've gone and where you're going. And um, I think it makes it more clearly too that someone is walking beside you mm-hmm. and you can see their footprints even clearer because of the mud. Um, so it's, you know, yeah, life is messy, but Jesus says he didn't come to save, you know, people who already feel like they're found. He came to save the lost, and he right. came to save the sick. And, and you know, that's just, through all this, and this grappling with who God is, and finding him at the bedside of my mom, you know, finding him in the humility of my father, finding him in, you know, the miraculous healings, of my mom and myself and um, just the faith of my husband, it's, you know, I couldn't have appreciated it without all the mess. I couldn't have appreciated it without all the pain. Um, so the the key is waiting, you know, waiting for the, the storm to pass, you know. Surrender in a sense because I... I from reading your story, it seems like it's the mud that's made you into who you've become. Without all that mud, I would be speaking to a different Emily. Yeah, I don't think you would be speaking to me. (laughs) 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 I don't know what I'd be saying anyway. Well, what I mean by that is that, you you know, you, we, we can make a choice when we're in mud. We can choose to walk forward one step at a time, even though it's murky and unclear and messy. And and we can still choose to look for God in what seems to be horrendous suffering. I, I like that you said, the closer we let ourselves get to Jesus, the more we learn the way he sees, the way he loves, the way he gives, and he never stops giving and we never stop receiving. And that's... I think what you chose to do in each mud that you experienced, you mm. still, even if it was just a tiny thread of hope, you mm. still chose it. Mm-hmm. And tell us yeah. about what that choice looked like, because I'm sure in each different situation, it was not easy to choose that. Or maybe there mm-hmm. were times you didn't even see what you could choose. Right. And, 
you know, I see what you're saying, and I think that um, knowledge that there is hope out there needs to continue to stay alive somehow within you for you to find healing. Mm-hmm. Um, if you lose sight of that hope, then uh, it's very hard to recover. And, um, yeah, I think all of us do, you know, do have that. You know, we ha- we're made in the image of God. We're made knowing that this is not it. That mm-hmm. we're, you know, the Bible says we feel like aliens, you know, like strangers on, in this er- in, on this world, in this world. And um, so we're, we're all looking for home. And I guess some that drives some of us to cut, you know, some of us to overdrink, mm-hmm. some of us to you know, whatever we're doing to overeat or to undereat or it's all the same though. It's all just a desperate crying out, you know, and maybe it's as simple as, you know, you um, don't let yourself eat dessert, you know, something small or you don't let yourself buy new clothes, Mm -hmm. a little way to punish yourself for Mm -hmm. not being who you want to be and um, also a way to feel alive. You know, pain is a way that we feel alive, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I think we're just all desperately longing to feel alive. And um, so don't beat yourself up anymore because um, you're not alone. And, you know, there's a, a God who went through extreme pain so that you could feel alive. And I just, my deepest prayer is that you can you can meet that Jesus, not... Well, you know, eventually the resurrected Jesus, but right now the one who is dying on the cross for you. You know, we need to meet him at different points in his life as well as in our life. And just to see the suffering that he went through for you and to know how deep and wide and long and high is the love Mm -hmm. of Christ. Well, and because we know we have the advantage of knowing what our Bibles read to us is the end. It is the end result, the end benefit, the end conquering that he accomplished on the cross the gift that we receive because in our mud in the pit of it it really does feel like you wonder does god give good things you know it, mm-hmm. it is everything a test a struggle a suffering will this ever end and there's a perspective that we can't see at the bottom yeah and yeah. yet holding on to that truth that we do have a savior who suffered yeah. And who understands and how do you, how would you recommend practically, practically, you know, in the next 24 hours, somebody who is feeling like they are really in the mud or maybe it's not extreme mud, but it's their little like rainy day, dirty, muddy puddle, yeah. you know, a shallow one yeah. or wherever we're at. What practically would you offer for someone for assistance mm. to them? Anything? Yeah. Um, well, I think if you're deep in depression, which a lot of us are, it's very difficult to do anything. So what I would encourage you, if you are struggling with deep depression, I'd really encourage you to say a prayer. Um, and maybe it's just help. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just something as small as that, I know that physically you probably just feel like you can't move or do anything, but um, just cry out to God, just say, where are you? Show me. Show me yourself. Mm -hmm. Show me your face. Because it's not up to us to convince ourselves that God is real. That's his job. 
Yes. And he wants to do it for you, but you need to invite him, right? And then and then we have to keep our eyes open to see where oh, he's yes. going to show up because it, it's not always necessarily in the well-meaning advice of just read your Bible or yes. just go to church. You know, sometimes God sends people into our lives or yes. a billboard or some yeah. circumstance at Walmart. You know, you just never yeah. know yeah. what what that will yes. look like, but if you're not looking... Right. Well, I always tell my husband, because I, I credit a lot of things to God, and I'm always looking for Him, and I always have. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons I have um, recovered the way I have. I credit it all to just Him showing up and me seeing, you know? And, yeah. um, and we we have to keep seeing. We have to keep looking for Him, or, you know, He'll be standing right there, and we won't notice, mm-hmm. you know? So, yeah. um, in addition to saying help, just say, open my eyes, you know, mm-hmm. as simple as that, and he will. So again, it's not up to you to see him, but invite him to change your eyes, to see, to just give you the desire even to see him, you know, mm-hmm. if, if you don't want to. So I pray, Lord, if if you want me to see you, help me want to see you, you know, and just, just be so vulnerable with him and um, just say, God, it sucks. This life sucks. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Because he can handle that. Oh, yeah. Yep. Be so real with him. Now, as we talk about suffering in our own mud, you know, as parents, we have kids who cannot be shielded from pain or suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, I love how you talk about trying not to fix our kids. And mm-hmm. and you've written a book called Atlas Girl. Mm-hmm. And it's a memoir book that you've written so beautifully about a lot of this mud and then how God met you in it. And But one of the quotes that I love in the book, you say, and maybe suffering on behalf of another is the greatest gift of all because it offers a kind of love that sacrifices, that sees beyond today, this the hardest thing for a parent to do, to not fix, to just let. For then we have to trust God to do the healing while we simply hold. Mm. And talk to us about what that can look like as parents, because we do, we, we know what it's like to be in mud in our lives. We, we long for our kids not to have to feel that. And yet even suffering and hardship for them can become a gift and we can get in the way of what the purpose of that could be. So speak to that a bit. Well, my kids are only two and four. I have two little boys. And so they haven't, you know, known a lot of suffering yet, thankfully. But <laughs> I just feel things so deeply. And, you know, we've had this stray cat become my eldest son's pet. And my eldest son is a lot like me. He feels things just very mm. deeply. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just spent hours petting and hugging this cat. And it's been gone, you know, for about a week. It's been gone. Mm. And he just every day he goes out and looks for cuddles. And every day he comes in and cries because cuddles isn't there. And it just breaks you. Mm-hmm. And you just, I was, like last night I had had it. I was like, you just want to go buy him a cat. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, can I please go get a kitten? But we have to keep it inside, and we have to protect it so he never leaves. And my husband's like, Emily, this is good for Aiden. It's Mm. growing him. It's good for him. But I just wanted to fix it, you know? So I wasn't taking my own advice. (laughs) But 
the beautiful thing is when I go to Aiden and I hold him and I say, and he says, Mommy, I miss cuddles. And I say, I know, honey, I miss him too. And we just hold each other that way. It actually helps him, you know, mm-hmm. just to know that Mommy's missing cuddles too. Well, and it validates the pain and then you don't yeah. feel alone. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, maybe your son or daughter is a teenager and they're spending a lot of time in their room and they've they've changed a lot or they're going through something really dark. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I was anorexic, all I wanted was for my, no, this is granted in the beginning stages, mm-hmm. but all I wanted was for my parents to come in and hold me and say they were sorry for what I was going through and to ask me how they could help. Because, you know, we can't fix things. We have to, this is a broken world. But we can love them, you yeah. know, and love is what shows them God. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Emily, what a delight to talk to you today. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your time and for sharing some of your mud with us. I do want everyone to know where they can find you online. So why don't you tell us mm-hmm. where can we find you and tell us a little bit about the books you've written. Okay. Well, you can find me at emilywaringa.com. So that's E-M-I-L-Y-W-I-E-R-E-N-G-A dot com. And um, you'll find all my books on there, the latest of which is my memoir, Atlas Girl. And um, I do have a book called Chasing Silhouettes, help for those uh, whose loved ones are struggling with an eating disorder. So uh, I look forward to connecting with you. Yeah, and you've written some fiction, too. Yes, Yes. I do have a novel on there, yes. Yes, I love that. (laughs) Okay, well, I will say goodbye until next time. I look forward to seeing you in person sometime soon, maybe, God willing. Yes, that'd be wonderful. um, Thank you for being so faithful to write for us Mm. words that can move us, that we can experience not only story, but that we can see God. Mm, Thank you, Jackie. Thank you. Well, that's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I know there are so many things you could be doing today, and yet you chose to be here with me listening to this podcast, and I just can't be more grateful. Don't forget, you can find the show notes over at mudstories.com or jackiewatkins.com forward slash episode six. And I wanted to highlight a link that'll be over there that Emily and I did not discuss in our conversation, but it's called the Lulu Tree. And it's a nonprofit organization that Emily has founded. And all the proceeds from her memoir book, Atlas Girl, will go towards the Lulu Tree. And it's a nonprofit dedicated to preventing tomorrow's orphans by equipping their mothers today. And it's a grassroots organization that brings healing and hope to women and children in the slums of Uganda through arts, community, and the gospel. Also over there, you'll find a link to Emily's latest article over at DesiringGod.org, which is an open letter to my friends struggling with eating disorders. Oh, I also wanted to thank all of you so much who've gone over to iTunes and subscribed to the podcast or left a rating and review. It's just been so fun to hear your comments and your 
um, encouraging words. And it's also been exciting because the Mud Stories podcast is now being featured in the new and noteworthy section over at iTunes in several different categories. And it's just my hope that this will help more and more people find this podcast so that they can be encouraged too. So I just wanted to share with you a few of the ratings and reviews that people have written over there. Lisa Spidel says, I love these stories. They are so encouraging and uplifting. Defeat the Drama writes, love the interviews. Guests share their hearts and their inspiration and the love of Jesus shines through. What a great message your podcast brings. He is with us during our biggest struggles and our happiest times. Let's see. MB424 says, professionally done, great sound quality, great topics. Just add Kleenex. (laughs) I love that. Uh, Gretchen Louise writes, so excited about the potential of this new podcast. Encouraging and beautiful. Nicole Huffaker says, I listened for the first time today. Thank you for speaking words of hope and life. Keep it up. And Ray Brown says, oh man, where would I be without this show? John Lee Dumas from Entrepreneur on Fire says, we all have messy moments. JW allows us to see the light. And finally, Tracy Breuder says, as someone who has felt like she lives in the mud, this is such a great show. Romans 8.28 has been a guiding verse to help pull me out of the mud. And what a great way to spend some time being encouraged by other stories and how they've been able to overcome. God bless you and love the show. Again, thank you all for taking the time to listen, for leaving reviews and ratings for subscribing to the show. And if you wouldn't mind telling just one friend who you think might be able to be encouraged by this show, by this podcast, it would mean so much to me because it is my desire that all of us would really know that we're not alone and that God can redeem and restore all things. So today, no matter what we're facing, where we've been, or what lies ahead, May we all find a grateful song to sing. Have a beautiful day. A never-ending robber feels a press upon my mind A pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me my head to see your strong arm reaches to me your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole you wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place Upon my mind, a pull of shame that leaves me a little bit blind. I cannot see beyond the blame, and I never will find a way out. And then I feel you next to me. You lift my head to see. Your strong arm reaches to me. Your mercy floods my tired soul.
myself where I belong in your safe embrace as a grateful song to sing. A grateful song to sing. A grateful song to sing.